Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Golston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. The Bible reading this morning is taken from Mark 11, 1 through to 11. Mark 11, 1 to 11. And it's entitled, Jesus Comes to Jerusalem as King. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches as they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, and since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. As we come to Palm Sunday, most people know what Palm Sunday is about. So, you know, we could all just go out and have morning tea. But I'm going to probably expand on it a little bit more uh, this morning and get into it. I don't know what your TV viewing is like. Mine tends to be around junk. It's no brain, brainer stuff where I don't have to engage my mind all that much because it's engaged pretty much most of the time. Uh, so last week I watched Shazam. Now I don't know whether anyone's seen Shazam. If you're and if you're not a superhero fan or a Marvel fan, you probably wouldn't have seen uh, Shazam or even desire to see it. Uh, so, you know, it's, I'm not promoting a movie here. What, 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 I'm, what I'm doing is I'm saying that, that Shazam was unusual, for me at least anyway, because, because he seemed to want everyone to know his alternate ego, like his identity. So he just walked around and said, oh, I'm it, I'm, I'm the superhero. I was used, I'm used to, when I was younger, I used to come home from, from primary school and watch Superman on black and white TV. That shows you how old I am. Uh, and Clark Kent, this mild-mannered reporter from Krypton with this superhero kind of powers that no one could really see and no one could understand. I could never understand why Lois and, and uh, Jimmy uh, couldn't actually see uh, his identity and they didn't really have a clue, even though he timely, in a timely way, disappeared every time there was trouble around. He seemed to show, or Superman seemed to show up. You think they would have clued in, you know, really who he was. Today on Palm Sunday, as we look at 
what that day originally meant, we find the crowds who followed Jesus and even his own disciples were a bit like Lois and Jimmy. They saw Jesus, but they didn't understand who he really was. And now you would think the lights would have switched on. You would think after all the miracles that happened, after everything of his life that was going on, they finally kind of got to this this moment uh, of when Jesus was going to go to the cross and this kind of this passion time uh, that was happening, they, you think they would have clued in what was going on. At some point, the lights would have switched on. But even though, and it's not as if that Jesus didn't sort of allude to it, was what was going on, even though he spoke very plainly to his disciples about himself and about his mission, even though they witnessed all the miracles, they would not or they could not because Jesus didn't allow them to, understand what Jesus was on about until after his death and resurrection, and then they went, we get it. Before this point, Jesus shrouded his identity. He put it, my time had not yet come. And he told his mother, my time had not yet come at at the wedding at Cana. And, and, And... to his disciples, he said, it's not the point in which I'm about to expose my real identity, who I am, except for right here. As he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, we see Jesus displaying to everybody who he is. He's revealing his identity to everyone. Jesus and his disciples were making their way, their way into Jerusalem. We, we, we read that. We saw the cartoon about that. And he mentioned what would happen to them. Now, he said it in a general way in Mark chapter 8. But in Mark chapter 10, verses 32, he says it very specifically like this. He says, again, he, he, uh, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to them. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be portrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Three days later he will arise. Now it seems a bit of a no-brainer to us if you heard Jesus say that. You say, well, this is what's going to happen. But they still didn't get it even before Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Maybe they were confused. Couldn't be talking about the Messiah because the Messiah was going to come and save them from the Romans and how could a dead Messiah actually save anyone? Maybe they just couldn't believe or refused to believe what they had heard. You, you've probably been that yourself where you hear news and someone has to tell it to you over and over and over again because you just really don't want to hear it in your mind. You don't kind of want to get to that place because if you got to that place, it's going to mean something else, probably some reaction that's required of you. So they arrived at the outskirts of Jerusalem, which was marked by the towns Bethpage and Bethany. It's a bit like Tweed's Heads and Coolangatta, you know, where Bethany was on just on the, a town just before the district of Jerusalem, and Bethpage was was in just a couple of kilometres in into the perimeters of Jerusalem, about three clicks. When they arrived at Bethany, Jesus sent the two disciples uh, to the next town, presumably to Bethpage, to get a donkey or a colt, one that had not been ridden, which will be important that we'll talk about a bit later on. Just as a complete different side note, I wrote uh, my exam essay on this passage uh, when I was going for a seminary, and uh, 
the lecturer came back and said, I can't believe I've never heard anybody talk about that because one of the miracles that is never mentioned in the Bible is that who rides an unridden donkey or an unridden colt? Nobody can do that. It took me probably two months to break a horse and yet Jesus gets on this unridden donkey and colt and rides it. And make matters worse, what you do is you sack out a horse. That means that you put bags all over the saddles and everything so that they just absolutely don't freak off the planet when anybody lifts their hands or, or wrestles a shirt or does something. And meantime, they've got palm branches getting flown. That's a complete side note. Make probably no difference to your day whatsoever. But I thought I'd bring that in. There's been some discussion about whether Jesus miraculously knew that the donkey was going to be there or the colt was going to be there, but more probably he prearranged it. And we know that because when the disciples went and told them who was going to take the donkey, they actually, the, the, the owner said, okay, go on ahead and do it. Now, I don't know what owner would ever do that unless it was prearranged. So they brought the donkey to Jesus and placed their coats on his saddle, which seemed to convey a message of kingship. And we read that in 2 Kings 9, 12 to 13. Jehu said, which is Jehu the king, this is what the Lord says, I anoint you over king of Israel. And they quickly took off their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. And then they blew the trumpet and they shouted, Jehu is king. The Jews knew that this was the sign of the Messiah. Now, many have thought that Jesus was the one who was going to free them from political oppression of the Romans against the Jews. But this picture didn't match up. They would have been much better, wouldn't they? would have been much more satisfied if Jesus was going to ride in on this white stallion instead of donkey. You know, like the whole, like this, this king, this military king, this military leader going into the battle against the Romans. Now he's going to come on a stallion. We know that at the end of time, where he'll pronounce victory over all and the battle will be finished. But at this particular point, he rides in on a donkey, which is important. See, instead of, of, of at this point of Jesus uh, seeing them as victor, Jesus presenting himself as a servant, a servant king, completely different than the one who fights into military battle. And because of this, the crowd soon just went, eh, and went home. Isn't that strange, eh? Jesus was the exact opposite to what the crowd was expecting and what the crowd wanted. But Jesus was claiming to be a different type of king, like I mentioned. And he was interested in a different kingdom than the one that the Jews were looking forward to. The kingdom that Jesus is interested in and is still interested in is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. He's the Messiah, the Saviour, the one who spiritually was going to save his people. And many people acknowledge that and some don't. I don't know what Easter means to people and you no doubt have got into the conversations before about what Easter means. I even sort of, uh, on the way up, we don't, don't have a lot to do when we travel up to Copa, so I asked Susan, I said, where did Easter ever come from? Where was the actual 
like name Easter ever happened. And no one knows. It's kind of shrouded in history of where Easter, why is it the Easter period, uh, except for Easter hot cross buns. You know, that's kind of made up by Woolworths. We know that. But where, do, where does it all come from? Where does it all go to? Many people acknowledge Jesus as an historical person and they, re- they recognise that he walked on this earth. But a whole lot of people, in fact, I would say a vast majority of people in some countries see him as absolutely irrelevant to life and the meaning of it. And this large crowd gathered saying, well, if he's not going to come in and save us militarily through political force, well, then he doesn't mean anything to us really at all. Like the crowd gathered on the road, some people can miss his identity, like Lois Lane and Jimmy. He can be standing there right in front of him, of them, but they don't really see who he is. It's disturbing, really, how quickly the celebration of the of the Palm Sunday coming in and celebrating singing Hosanna, which literally means save us, turned to crucify him. Only a week later, the crowd wanted Jesus to fix their physical problem. But Jesus, on the other hand, wanted to fix their deepest problem. Not the enemies that circled around them, but rather the enemy that was within them that served to create enmity between them and God. They looked at the symptoms of their life, but didn't really recognise the core issue of their life. We know that in counselling. For those who have ever gone to counselling or for those who have had counselling training, that the symptoms that people come to you with are merely symptoms. And we can fix symptoms. We can fix people's lives and get them to live in a peaceful environment with themselves and with others around them. But that's only a symptom. Because down, deep down, there is a core issue that needs to be dealt with that has produced the symptom or allowed the symptom to come into their life. And it's like this for the Jews. And for us, because all of us have enmity between us and God through sin. Now, the symptoms of sin might come out in all different ways, shapes and forms. And we can deal with that. And the Holy Spirit does deal with that after we become Christians. But the core issue is deeper than the symptoms that we see. So often, the church focuses on the symptoms and tries to eliminate that from people's lives so that we look cleansed and clean. But instead, Jesus does a core work, a work that goes down deep to save us from that. See, it happened to me this week. It was so embarrassing. My mate, Come and uh, I gave him a lift. I, I, I drove Heath around to uh, to do some stuff on on Tuesday, and uh, he got into my car, and uh, and Quita wouldn't know this, but she's kind enough not to say anything. She's going, he's going, what happened to your car? 
It's such a mess. It's, incre- you know, it's incredible. He says, do you allow any... He said, what do you do when you pick up somebody like Quetta? I said, I, I just push it aside and push it all under the seat. And he goes, that's a good gospel uh, analogy. I, th- I think you keep your car like this so that when somebody comes in uh, and comes into your car, you can say, our life is like my car, all messed up. And Jesus does a big deep clean from within so that it's the core work that happens. It just doesn't push things under your chair, under your seat. Australians blame a lot of life issues on all sorts of different people, don't they? On their boss or politics and even God. And by and large, people don't think that their greatest problem that they have is between them and God or them even inside themselves. And people literally sweep things under the carpet and clean up their life so they look good on the outside. But really, when it comes down to it, they have a core issue that needs to get dealt with, like I've said. I mean, people think they're pretty good. I think most people are good. They do good things in this world compared to, comparatively at least, against some people who haven't done good things in this world and find themselves in prison uh, or, or heinous offenders. And because they're pretty good, people think they must be okay. Okay for when anyone sees them, even when God sees them. She'll be right in Aussie slang. But it leads to a false sense of security and in some sense, that's what's happening to the people around Jesus when they, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. There's a false sense of security that the Saviour is going to save them as a nation but not have to deal with them as individuals. And then Jesus comes in, and we read this in other Gospels, and he cleanses the temple again and lifts up and turns all the tables that his father's house must be clean and purified. And then we get later on, after the crucifixion and resurrection, an opportunity to see the Holy Spirit to come in and cleanse us, who are the temple of of the living God. We quite often get the ending wrong, and they had the ending wrong. They expected him to ride into the temple and expel the Romans out and that was their expectation and yet at the end of it they were left wanting because they perceived the ending to be something different than what God perceived it. And quite often we see that in our life as well. We have a different ending where we can see the course of events that's going to happen and what needs to happen at the end of it, but we Really, does it need to happen at the end of it? Only God knows. I I record TV shows because I don't ever want to watch ads. I have no desire to do that. And then we kind of fast forward our way through the ads and then get to the end. And it absolutely rocked my socks the other day because I taped the ending of Australian Idol and got to right at the end, you know, right at the end where he says, and the winner is, and the recording stopped. 
And I went, you have to be kidding. I thought, what, reverse back, reverse back. Well, it must come on. And it literally was. And the winner of the Australia Idol is, and you know how they take an extended amount of time. It even had that little bit of time at the end of it where it's like, and stopped. And I went, I asked Susan, I said, do you know who won that? And, uh, and, and I, I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, in my mind, I've watched all the episodes, because I, as I said, I watch brainless TV, but I watched all the episodes and, and I've come to the conclusion, this person must have won. And, uh, and you know, I, I had it in the mind, yeah, it's going to be one. And then what happened is I eventually watched on to another brainless show that was recorded after Australian Idol and there was the ending on it. And I went, wow, there you go. It ended nothing like I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's a great analogy between us and God. See, we've all chosen not to love God. We have. And we've chosen not to love others. And while we think we may have measured up and things are well with us, sometimes we miss the end. And we think we know how it will play out. We know how it's going to end. And I've cleaned up my car. I've swept everything under the seat. I've cleaned up my life so that from the outside it looks fairly squeaky clean. I've cleansed my own life, but we need to be cleansed from within. Otherwise, the ending that we perceive is going to happen is going to be very different than what we thought it might be like, unless Jesus is the one that comes in and works in your life. No matter how hard we try to clean things up, We cannot restore the relationship that is broken between us and God. And that's what the people waving the palm branches needed to hear. And that's what Jerusalem needed to realise, that the ending, which was so devastating for them, as the Messiah hung on a cross, that we all recognise, by the way, Chris, it's not next week, it's this week, was the ending that God orchestrated in our life. God sent his own son, who would himself take upon the punishment that was due for us by dying in our place. In exchange, he offers us restoration, forgiveness and everlasting life. You may have never imagined that ending. The Jews certainly didn't do that. The Romans imagined that, that, that they were going to crucify the, the military king that was going to come in and try to take over them. But the type of king that Jesus came was that servant king, that sacrificial king that was going to give of himself for everlasting life. Is that what we're celebrating and is that what we're singing, Hosanna, save us? See, Jesus never promised to save us from this world. And in fact, as you read the Bible, this world is going to get to a point of utter desolation and utter destruction as we implode quite dramatically in our world. He never promised to clean up our world, but he promised to clean up the mess of ourselves. He promised to pay for our sins and, break, and that breakdown of relationship that we have with God. And as we move into Easter week, we have a choice, don't we? When we say, save us, 
Do we really want Jesus to address the core of our issues, the core of ourselves, to do a cleansing work on us? So it's interesting as you read the passage in Mark, you have two responses really. Uh, the surrounding, uh, and we see read that as you read the surrounding passages before and after uh, this event. First of all, you have the ones that cried out, "Jesus, save us!" And then you have another cry from the blind man later on in chapter eleven that said, "Jesus, save me." One was in faith that Jesus was going to do a work that was going to make their life better and their life easier in the world so that they wouldn't be under oppression anymore. The other one wanted to see. See, in, in Psalm 118, we have the blind man uh, who, who saw while those who were seeing didn't really see. And this Easter, we're going to ask ourselves, do we actually see Jesus for who he is? Because he came as he walked down that road on Palm Sunday and said, my time has now come and I'm going to show you exactly who I am. The saviour, the servant king that is going to hang on a cross but the king who is going to rise again in great victory so that we will know the ending at the very last days is going to be singing around the throne, Hosanna in the highest for the rest of eternity with all the angels that the king saves through his death and assures us of our life with him through his resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we reflect upon that Palm Sunday, when the crowds threw their cloak down on the ground and, and, uh, and looked up at, the, at Jesus, expecting him to be the the one that was going to come in and restore the nation, restore peace and restore a sense of security. How wrong they got the ending. We know, Lord, that spiritually you give us peace and spiritually you give us great security and spiritually you are our King and our Lord. Help us, Lord, that as we come to Easter, we recognise the cost that it took you to provide that was more, far more, than a military conquer, uh, conquering of, a, of victory on the battlefield, but rather it was dealing with a core issue that we have, and that's the sin that comes before us, that is in us, that you dealt with on the cross. So, Lord, help us this week as you ride into your death to reflect upon what that meant 
and reflect upon what it means to us as we live. I pray this in your name. Amen.